Welcome to the first episode of Where the White Coats Come Off. Today we're going to be interviewing Beth McIntyre, Doctor of Medical Science and Physician Assistant, and a very, very, very dear friend of mine, and I am so excited for you to meet her. Beth has an extensive resume, and she is an absolutely incredible person. She brings so much light and so much joy into not only my life, but so many other people's lives, um, and she's just phenomenal. And so let's meet her. Beth McIntyre! Hey, hey, what's up? A.K.A. B-Mac. That's right, that's my rapper name. Don't wear it out. <laughs> I'm so excited you're here today. Thank you for letting me interview you. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so tell, uh, for anybody who doesn't know you, who's listening to the podcast, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Okay, well, I have an unusual type of background. So my dad was in the military, and so I actually spent most of my youth kind of traveling around the world with, you know, his job. I actually graduated from a high school overseas and then came back to um, the United States for college. So uh, a little bit odd that way. It has some little bit quirks that um, sometimes uh, people call me on. Uh, but I've been in the United States for a few years now, so I feel like I'm, I'm getting in the flow. Um, in graduate school, I went to um, PA school at University of Kentucky because they had an international program where I could do some international rotations, and that was really, really fun. And then after that, I did a postgraduate fellowship in orthopedic surgery. So I've worked in both the clinic, and then I've also been a um, professor for PA students. I've got my doctorate of medical science uh, with an education concentration, and yeah, that's me. So I'm totally jealous that you got to live in Europe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was your favorite part? Um, so, okay, when, I, when my dad first told me we were moving to Europe, I was like, I don't know, nine or ten years old, right? And I don't think I could have picked Germany. That's where we went. I don't think I could have picked it on the map. Like, I'm not even sure I knew, like, exactly what moving to another country meant. And so I was not happy. Um, you can imagine, like, you know, coming in and then, like, and how I found out was he told us that he had applied for this job in Germany. And the way it works in the military, you can, like, pick your top three spaces and then they, they see if they'll give it to you. No guarantee, though. And he had applied. And, you know, I was all moody and depressed, as were my siblings. Right? We didn't want to go. My mom didn't want to go. Like, we didn't really want to go. And the way I found out that he had gotten that spot was I, I walked into their bedroom one day to ask my mom a question. And they had this map laid out on their bed. And it was a map of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew enough about the United States to know that wasn't the U.S., right? And so, and that's how I found out about it. So super, super um, not excited about that. But I'm telling you, it has changed my life. I wouldn't trade my childhood for any other childhood. Uh, so many experiences that I took for granted. Um, it's just amazing. So even just like going to school in a foreign country and... You had a lot more freedom there. There was a lot more public transportation. Um, there was just a lot more freedom than you have now. In this, I, th I think about like living in the United States in the 60s, right? Where you could just kind of hop on your bike and go places and not worry about things. And so that's how it was over there. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. And it just, it got you used to like being places where you don't speak the same language as someone and having to figure out like when you get lost, how to get home and, and all these amazing experiences. So I think that kind of helped me persevere through some things in life and helped me, um, I don't know, figure things out. Like in PA school when things got tough, you know, always had that that background of like hey i know how to problem solve like i can figure this out and so much more exposure to different cultures too yeah and different healthcare systems and how people like you know different lifestyles different diets it's, it's unbelievable and you don't really notice it as a kid you sort of take it for granted right because you're all kind of selfish when you're a child like you know you think about you but i look back on it now and i was like wow you know i've been there and i've done that and i've seen so much of the world and seen other people um and it's just it's kind of a unique experience i think that i bring and how old were you when you moved back to the u.s 
I moved back at 18. So I moved back like two weeks before I started college. And um, the way it is, is like you send some of your stuff ahead of time and it takes like three months. And so we lived on like, you know, camp furniture for like a few months and then he came back. And so we had all these boxes and I'm trying to unpack the things I have. And I had about like, I don't know, five outfits for college. And so I didn't have a car. And so my mom drove me up to college. Right. And I get there to my my meet my roommate and she has like dishes and she has a lamp to study with and she has I don't know like cleaning stuff and then I look at like my two boxes and I was like oh man I think we forgot a few things like I had no dishes not a single dish I don't know what I was thinking I didn't have a lamp I had like literally nothing it's a brand new world it was a brand new world I didn't have sheets they didn't fit the bed but I did have sheets right and so I was like all right I got one thing right I got some sheets and so it was just and I'm sure this this sweetest girl, she was the sweetest girl, um, but she lived in the same small town her whole life, had like never been on the interstate, had never been, you know, on an airplane. And so we really couldn't understand each other, but she was so nice because she had friends from high school and she like introduced them to me and she would let me like eat lunch with her because I was that weird girl, you know, from Europe who talked to everybody in German because I forgot, you know, you forget that like, I don't know, you're in the United States now. It was a, it was a big, big change, but I eventually got some uh, sheets that fit. I eventually got some, um, you know, dishes to eat off of, and then I made it. And started speaking English to everybody. Started speaking English, yes, yes. I never did learn Spanish, but I did I did learn the English. Um, and so, you know, just some weird some weirdness that is still a little bit left over, but it was an adventure. So what do you think the hardest part was uh, transitioning back to the U.S.? I guess it was a culture shock, and that is so real. And I've never really, like, experienced that. Like, so many people say there's a culture shock just going to college anyways, but coming from an ent entirely different um, country and having this experience about going to college, I just – it's probably a good thing I didn't know what it was going to be like because looking back, I'm like, how did I survive that? Just, I mean, just everything, the culture shock. Uh, there's a lot more material materialism here. There's a lot more um, people care about what you look. People care about, you know, what clothes you wear and stuff. And thankfully, I was clueless, and I had no idea I was being judged by all the weirdness. Um, but I think that was probably the hardest part. The best part was, though, is that places are open late. So I remember I had my roommate take me to Walmart at, like, 2 a.m. just because I couldn't believe the store would stay open until 2 a.m. Like, literally, I was, like, dancing down the Walmart aisles. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe this place is open. And she was like, it's just Walmart. Of course, I had no idea what Walmart was. I thought it was the coolest place on earth. <laughs> I mean, they sold so much stuff, and they were open at 2 a.m. Like, I just thought it was so awesome. Okay, so what is uh, currently your coolest place on earth? Currently, my coolest place on earth? Uh, probably the Smoky Mountains. Okay, that's a great thing. <laughs> that's a great thing. Which, by the way, we are right outside the Smoky Mountains, like literally like 45 minutes. And we live in such a beautiful part of the country. Yes, yes so uh, We are like uh, avid trail runners, and we try and make it out there at least once a month, if not more. Uh, so if you've never been to the Smokies, this is the shout-out to uh, definitely try and go visit. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. Run local, people. <laughs> um, so tell us uh, how you came to learn about the physician assistant profession and uh, what that was like for you. Yeah, so in the military, they have a lot of PAs, and so I actually grew up, like, PAs were my healthcare provider, so I don't know that I ever actually saw a doctor. And my best friend in high school, her dad was a PA, so I always kind of knew about PAs, and it was always in my mind. But for the longest time, I've convinced myself that I need to be a physical therapist. I'm not really sure why. I never actually had a physical therapist. I never went to a physical therapy appointment. Like, oh, I mean, I don't know why, but um, I just had this, had this thought. And so I did a lot of shadowing and did a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, eventually, you know, I thought about nutritionist. I thought about physical therapy. I thought about med school. I thought about all those kind of things. And it just came back to, hey, you know, I want to help people. I want to be there. And um, physician assistant seemed the right place for me. 
So um, did you ever think about becoming a medical doctor? Actually, I did. I even took the MCATs, which if you think like the DRE is legit, like this place, I mean, I had to sign in and out to like use a bathroom and like have 15 IDs and I didn't have 15 IDs. I didn't even have a credit card. You know, they didn't <laughs> believe me at first. And then like people like, I was, it was unbelievable. Like, you know, I have to pee like every hour because I stay hydrated. And so they kept really like, I'm sure they thought I was cheating because I kept having to leave. It was a long test, right? It was a long test, right? And, uh, and so I ended up taking that, but I never actually ended up applying because I really sat down and I just really thought what I wanted to do with my life. And I'm, I just don't like to be in kind of pigeonholed. And I wasn't really excited about, hey, doing a residency in something and then like not having the ability to change if I decide I want to take my life in a different direction. So that's what ultimately led me away from med school. And to be honest, I talked to a lot of doctors, too, and they were like, if I could do it over again, I would totally go to PA school. And so that really influenced my decision, too. And then what about, like, PA versus nurse practitioner? Was that ever an issue for you? No, it wasn't, and I don't know why. It's maybe because I wasn't plugged in the nursing. Well, okay, this is the real reason why. So I have a grandmother who I absolutely love. Um, but when I was young, she used to tell me that, like, you know, women should be teachers or nurses. And so the last thing I wanted to be when I grew up was either a teacher or a nurse because, I don't know, I just, like, felt like I had to rebel against that, right? And so it's ironic because I ended up being a teacher, smiling and I remember I started smiling 
and was just like, this is what I'm meant to be. Like, I made the right decision. So um, that at that point, I knew I could do it. I knew I was supposed to be here. And I think that helped to, like, get me through the two and a half years. How big was your class? So we had um, 40 people in um, our main campus. And then Lexington has a, um, like, satellite campus somewhere away. And so we never really, like, hung out with those people or anything. Uh, but I think there was 16 at that campus. Um, but just kind of 40 in my class, which is, I thought was kind of a perfect number. We all knew each other. We all liked each other. Um, but there was still enough variety that, you know, you could make good friends and have some things in common. So uh, tell us a little bit about your interview day and uh, any advice for people that are about to go into their interviews. Okay, so I went to my interview day, and it was so funny because I wasn't really sure what to wear, right? And so looking back now... This is my favorite story. <laughs> okay, so looking back now, okay, I have no fashion sense. And I've been in the United States for about four years now, but it's all been in college, and so I really still have no sense of whatever. Um, and so um, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to Kentucky. It's a professional interview. And so I have a pair of black pants, which of course I wore. And then I think I borrowed a pair of flats from my mom because uh, I didn't have any. I only had running shoes. And then um, I wore a, uh, like a, um, just a regular plain black shirt. And then I had this green corduroy jacket. No. <laughs> yes. And like, <laughs> I love this jacket. Okay. So I had, I had moved out to Colorado the year before to find myself or whatever. And it had this like outlet store going out of business. And I decided that like I was going to be a jacket person. And so all these jackets were on sale for like five or seven dollars. <laughs> Don't laugh. I was like, I think jackets are me, you know? And so I brought like a bright gold one. I mean, no, no plain jackets for me. I brought a bright gold one, like a burnt rust orange one and this green one. Oh my god, please tell me you still have these. Oh, I wish. I wish. Um, when, I, when I went minimalist, like, I got rid of a lot of stuff. But um, anyways, and so this green jacket, it was like my favorite jacket, right? And so I show up to interviews and um, they interview us first as a big group, kind of talk to us. And I remember like every other person there had on like a suit and they had briefcases and they had on like pumps. And I was like, ooh, I don't know about this. There's only one other guy who like had on a cowboy hat and some jeans and he didn't get in. Jeans? Yeah. Oh, no. And there's only, so there's only one other person who didn't like fit this mold. And you know, I might not be fashionable, but I'm not an idiot. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> like maybe I had it wrong, right? Maybe I had it wrong. Um, and then we, I still remember we do this like writing assignment and you know, I like to write. And so like, you know, most people write their little paragraph and I'm like, turning my sheet over on the back and it was about not smoking which is a big thing for me and I'm like writing all this stuff about not smoking and I'm like writing getting like in the corners like you know I try to finish my sentences and stuff and I, they probably didn't even read it to be honest I don't know but I got really excited about it <laughs> and then uh and then we had like um a three-on-one interview with like three of them interviewed me and then a one-on-one interview and it kind of felt like you were like drill sergeant like in a cage you know and I walked out having like no clue like did I do good did I do bad and I had to wait for a letter in the mail and it came I don't know, like four weeks later. That, and you know. so you were used to the drill sergeant thing because uh, for our listeners out there, Beth's dad is in the military. <laughs> and uh, he's I, intense. Yes, a little bit intense. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense. Uh, so I'm like laid back one of my family, if that tells you anything. Um, so yeah, so uh, I didn't know. And I had applied to choose programs and I had interviewed at both and I had no idea. Um, but when the letter came in the mail, uh, it was it was so excited and like I hate to wait. You can ask Katie. Oh my gosh, I don't she hates to wait. <laughs> I once listened. I once made her an advent calendar of gifts, meaning like each day of December she got to open a gift. She opened them all the same day, which was the first day. 
The first day opened all 25 gifts. Listen, I couldn't wait. I did wait till 8 o'clock that night, though. That doesn't count. <laughs> well, see, I opened the first one in the car on the way home. And, like, it was so good. And I kept looking at them. And I was like, oh, just one more. And then one that happened, I was like, oh, my God, let's open them all. So that's my type of personality. So you can imagine having to wait for four weeks uh, to see if you, like, that you're going to change your life or not. Like, it was brutal. Yes. Uh, so also, note to uh, listeners out there, you may wear a green corduroy jacket if... You are a super strong applicant in every other way, which I'm sure Beth was. <laughs> just go with the interview suit. Just, just fit in, guys. Just, just do the right thing. Don't do it the way I did it. Like, do, do the right way. Um, so what advice do you have for the people that are playing the waiting game? Because that is the most challenging thing about applying to PA school. And it is just, it, it just feels like it drags on forever. So what, about, um, what words of wisdom do you have for, for those students out there that are Yeah, waiting? so my advice would be is don't stop moving forward, okay? So whatever you're doing, if you're getting healthcare hours, if you are taking more classes, if you don't know if you should apply to other schools, like continue going until you have that seat acceptance in your hand, your whole you know, energy needs to be channeled on your dreams. It needs to be channeled on what you want to do. So, you know, don't just think, well, I'm just going to wait and see what happens with this, and then I'll apply to something else, or then I'll I'll retake the GRE, or then I'll start to study for X, Y, or Z. No. Like, you, until you have what you want, you keep moving forward, because we have so many students who are like, well, I'm just waiting right now to hear back, and if I don't hear, you know, good news, then I'll apply again. Like, what? You've just wasted three months. We could be getting shadowing hours. You could be getting healthcare hours. You can get BLS certified in freaking five hours. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you so get ACL certified in the weekend. You become an EMT and, you know, a basic EMT in, what, six to eight weeks. Like, so there's so many things you can do. Do not play the waiting game. So um, when you went into PA school and towards the end of it, uh, knowing what you knew at the end of PA school, what would you have told yourself before you had gone in? Like, what would you have done to prepare yourself better for PA school? Yeah, I think the big thing about when you first get to PA school is everybody tries to scare you, right? Like, it's always in that orientation, how hard it is, how hard it is, and that is totally true. But the one thing is, is you can't concentrate on the outcome. So I always always be worried, like, oh my gosh, what if I hurt a patient? What if I do this? You know, all those thoughts run through your mind. But really, it's one day at a time. So if you concentrate on, like, I have to know all this stuff by this date, I have to be able to know all these drugs, I have to be able to do all this stuff, it is overwhelming, and it doesn't serve you. Because, it, you know, yes, you have to do that. But you know what, today, you have to learn this lecture. Today, you have to read this chapter, okay? So don't worry. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous, like one day at a time. Don't worry what you have to do next month because you have to get to next month. We, uh, you know, teaching, we see so many students who worry about rotations on, like, week two. And I'm like, you literally have to get to rotations. There's no guarantee that you will have a rotation. So don't worry about where you're going to be a year from now and if you can get your cardiothoracic elective. Like, that will come. There will become a time for that. But right now, your time is to be a student. Your time is to learn this material at this point in time. Write that down. Oh, my gosh, I love it. Absolute words of wisdom. Um, okay, so tell us what you did after graduating PA school. Yeah, so um, I really was interested in orthopedics, and that probably comes from my uh, background in, like, sports and being an athlete. And so um, what I decided to do after graduate school is I, I did work in the emergency room for about three months while I was applying to a fellowship. And what a fellowship is is basically training um, after your PA school and they have different fellowships. They have some, most of them are like an ER or some type of surgery. And so I applied to one in orthopedic surgery fellowship because I really, really wanted to do that. And I had done my elective in orthopedics, but it had only been four weeks. And so I felt like I had an idea, but I wasn't, 
I wasn't a very fast suture. I wasn't very efficient in the OR. I still didn't know quite, you know, everything I needed to know. I had seen some stuff in clinic, but when you're four weeks, you know, you don't get to follow a patient for their six week or six month post-op, right? So I had seen kind of in between some post-op stuff and I just wanted some, I just wanted to be good. I wanted to head, get knowledge and I wanted to get it fast. So I did a fellowship. And so it was a six month fellowship. And what they said is it's equivalent to two, three years of experience in six months. So you do, you learn things really, really fast. I worked with different type of ortho doctors, everything from spine to foot and ankle to general joint placement, sports medicine, kind of a little bit of everything. Did rounding, did ER work, did hospital work, did call. So basically you just work your butt off for six weeks, but you get the experience of like someone who's been a PA for two to three years. So how long were your days? Oh, so that, I mean, you round at like, you know, 536 in the morning and then you get done at like midnight if you're not on call. I mean, it was a long, long oh. time, but you know, I knew that going in. Like I knew like, Hey, I can do this for six months or I can wait three years and be at the same place. And so for me, at that point in my life, like I, I really wanted to work in orthopedics. I didn't really, that wasn't something I was willing to, um, I don't know, like barter with, like, hey, I'll just do this for a year. I really, really wanted orthopedics. And so for me, that was the way that I went about getting it. So do you recommend um, people that are truly passionate about a specialty that they go in and do a fellowship? So very few people actually do fellowships in PA school, um, after PA school, but there's also very few fellowships. So it's sort of like, applying for PA school again, right? So you have this strong competition and and, and there's not a whole lot of spots. Um, so my thought is, is okay, if you have something that, that you really, really want to do, you might be able to do that, but you probably won't be able to do that in a place that you want, unless you know someone. So I always tell my students, you know, either the area or the specialty. It's very rare to get both unless it's something maybe like family practice where they have a lot of openings, but it's very rare to get both, right? And so if you were just like, hey, I want to live in this town and I want to do this, but you don't know a doctor, you don't have an M, as a new grad, you know, you're, you're going against people who, who have experience, right? Um, and it's not saying that you can't do that, but if that's something that you're unwilling to compromise on, you have to live in this place, have to live this. And I think, you know, a fellowship is something you should think about. Now, you, you don't get really paid. I mean, you get paid, I don't know, like a thousand bucks a month. And so and if you've got student loans, you have to defer them and all these things. So there are some things that you have to think about. But if you want to get quick experience so you can feel comfortable, you know, working in a specific area, then, you know, I think you should think about it. Um, and you can apply online just like you do um, to PA school and you have to write essays and you have to have blood as a recommendation. It's very much a similar process. So I just would recommend it for people who are just really passionate about one area who know that's what they want to go into. Um, but if you're unsure, then then no, just go get a job somewhere, do ER, do um, internal medicine, do something where you're going to see a lot of different uh, variety of patients and a lot of different specialties. And then, you know, kind of get your niche from there. So that's what most students do. What is your favorite thing about the PA profession? So I guess what I love about the PA profession is that um, there's just so many ways you can go with it, right? So I was full-time clinical practice in orthopedic surgery for a while, and then I went part-time there in teaching. And there's just, you know, if you want to do ER, then you can move to dermatology. If you decide you want to do surgery, some people get into research. So it's one of those degrees that, like, yeah, you can get a job, but there's also kind of a different flavor of the job. So if you do family practice for a while, then you're like, hey, I really like nephrology. Well, then go work for a nephrologist, you know? I mean, how many people can say that, right? How many jobs can say that? Because, I mean, if you are uh, an ex, then that's what that's what you are. Like, if you're an engineer, you're an engineer, right? But we have so many different ways I think we can go. Um, and I think that's the blessing of being a PA, that if you ever decide you want to learn something new or just really get passionate about something later in life, you can go do it. That's so true. There's so much lateral range of motion yeah. in the PA yeah. profession. What is your least favorite thing about the PA profession? 
least favorite thing is probably there's lots and lots of paperwork. So you think like when you go to school, you're like, yeah, I'm going to help people. I'm going to spend my whole day like, you know, um, doing this with patients and doing this. And be honest, you spend half your day filling out charts. Right. You know what I mean? And then they're like, oh, you forgot to click this and you forgot to sign this or you need to dictate this at the hospital and um, that kind of thing. And so that's probably my least favorite part is that the admin responsibilities that come with that. Um, and I understand why it's important, but sometimes you're like, I would rather spend more time talking to my patient than I would, you know, type it in the computer. But if you don't type it in the computer, then it doesn't count. What is your best advice for PA, recent PA graduates transitioning into their first professional position? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and so it, it does take um, a change of mindset to change from student to professional, okay? And this hopefully starts to happen during your rotations as you kind of start to be, like, realizing, like, hey, I'm going to be taking care of these patients, um, all that kind of stuff. The biggest advice I can give is that have confidence in what you've learned because I struggle with this a lot when I first got out. I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I know this, but I have to look it up. Right. <laughs> I mean, I know this is what you give, but I got to double check myself, triple check myself just because you're new at it. And, and it comes from a place of you don't want to hurt someone. Right. You want to do the right thing. So this comes from a place of you want to serve your patient population. But, you know, you waste all this time and stress, you know, with things that you know that you know it. So where is that confidence coming from? And I'm not saying being arrogant. Like, if you don't know, then definitely ask or look it up. But I mean, I worked with a girl who gave herself an ulcer. Like, we both started at the same time. And two months in, she ended up in our ER with an ulcer because she was so stressed about, like, everything. And, you know, she was a good provider, and she knew things. Um, so I guess that would be – that's one of the hardest parts of that self-confidence. And also, you have to remember, you're not, you're not a student anymore. So it is okay not to know everything. Um, but – you know, you're not a student anymore, like you're a professional now. So you are expected to have a level of competency. You're supposed to keep that level of competency. And you're supposed to also know where that level ends. So if you need help, you know, as a professional, then you need to ask someone, you know, look up up to date, something like that. And that's a hard mindset for student, people who've been students, especially if you came straight from undergrad. So for the past, I don't know, what, 25 years, you've been a student, right? Since kindergarten, through high school, through undergrad, through graduate school. And all of a sudden now the decisions rely on you. Right. And so I think that that is a hard transition, but just having that self-confidence to know, hey, like I am good enough. I do know what I'm talking about, but also having that humility to say like, hey, this is above me. I need to go speak to someone else about this. That's so true. And it's so hard to prepare for that type of responsibility when yes. another life is in your hands and making sure that you're making the right decisions and that you're not overlooking anything. Yeah. And even though you know it's coming when it does, it's kind of like, oh, surprise. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so looking back on how far you've come, which is such a long ways, like, I mean, your, your career is absolutely phenomenal. Like, I mean, and you were how old? I'm in my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in your 30s, and you have this incredible... Two weeks you. <laughs> <laughs> and you have this incredible career and all of this ambition and I mean you've like I mean you've completed your doctor of medical science and you have literally reached the apex of your you know maxed out your education so looking back on how far you've come which is such a long ways how is your life different than what you imagined it would be all those years ago back in Germany yeah so I think like when you're a kid you know how everybody's like what do you want to be when you grow up and you know everybody's like astronaut or Mom was a dolphin trainer, you know, um, which I don't even know if that's a job. Uh, but, you know, I, just, I don't know. For some reason, I decided I thought I was the Little Mermaid growing up, right? So I thought I was Ariel. So I was like, I can train dolphins, right? That could be my thing. Um, but I think as a kid, like, you're so open to possibilities that it never occurs to you that, like, 
hey, that I can't be that, right? I can't be that. And so in my mind, it was like, okay, I was going to, you know, still be traveling the world. I was going to uh, have lots of money. I was going to have, you know, all these amazing experiences. But how to actually get there never entered my mind. It was just like, yeah, this is going to be me. I'm going to be like 25. I'm going to be living in, up in Europe. And I'm going to be like visiting all these places and doing all these cool things. And But there was never like a plan. Like if you know my family, I have a brother and sister. And like from the day they were like two years old, they knew what they wanted to be. And this is not an exaggeration. You Like we have pictures of my sister like crawling around, like fixing her animals. And she's a veterinarian. And then my brother always like, he was like the first person in our community to get an email address. And I know that like ages me, but like email was like not even a thing. And he signed me up for one, which I still have, by the way, all those years ago. I had no idea what it was. I didn't use it for like seven years because I didn't even know what, I didn't know what an email, and he tried to explain it to me, right? <laughs> and so he was like coding in high school, you know, and I'm still, don't even know what an email address is. And so they all knew. And so of course he works with computers and he's a computer engineer. And so they both knew, like, from the moment. And I was like, okay, Dolphin Trainer, okay, best-selling novelist. Oh, I want to be in the Olympics, which I still do. So that, I mean, someday when I'm 95, like, I'm going to be there. And that's going to be your first tattoo. Yeah, that's going to be my first tattoo. That's right. Yes, I'm going to get Olympic rings. Uh, I've already decided. See, I decided this as a child. I was going to get Olympic rings. I decided where I was going to get them, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, looking back, like, I had no clue. Um, but sometimes I think that's the beauty of like childhood is that the possibilities are endless and you actually do believe that you can do anything, you know, and somewhere along that it gets, I don't know if it gets schooled out of us or, or what, but you come to people and you like, you ask them at, at 10, what they want to be. You ask them at seven, what they want to be. You ask them at 15, what they want to be. And they have answers. And then you ask them at 22, what they want to be. And they have no clue. Right. And so I'm like, where does that change? Right. Where does that change? And I have no idea like when that changes, if it's just, society or if it's just something we learn in school or we just lose that part of our brain that just imagines things are possible um and i don't even know if i'm answering this question i know what the question was but, but anyways i love it i can listen to you talk all day i love it yeah. so anyways keep those possibilities open because you really can do anything you want like think like a child like just open your mind and let the universe just do its thing in the pa profession there's so much fluctuation uh sometimes about how we feel about our careers sometimes you go through periods where you're a little bit jaded and and most of the time it's periods of where we you know have just feel so blessed by our career and by all the opportunities that um that we have being a PA how are you able to keep your passion for medicine alive through those times when you feel a little bit jaded about being a PA yeah so being in healthcare, especially in our country is hard right there's it's it's a lot of it's political a lot of it's um governmental a lot of it's um has to do with the paperwork and all these things that are required of us and so we sometimes lose our why like why we're we doing this um why we went to this really expensive and really hard school when we see people with, you know, MBAs or whatever, you know, making three times as much and not having to worry about killing people, right? Um, and so the big thing is you just have to kind of remember why you're here and why you're doing it. And um, I've been lucky because usually around a lot of PA students and students are like the people that keep your passion alive for you because it's like you remember when you were at that point and you remember feeling exactly like them like when they're so excited to get the rotation schedule right or when they're like oh my gosh i learned the physical exam or i'll even have students email me after graduation like oh my gosh i saw this thanks so much for teaching me about this uh and so that really really helps keep my passion alive for it like through the lives of my students because they like live it every single day and you feel young again and you feel like you're in that spot again and that you're excited and nervous and happy for them and so that really really helps 
on the days that it's hard, just think about like, hey, what they're going through. And they'll be so generous with their, their emotions and their, their happiness. Like they will spread it around to you and to everybody else. So if you're ever feeling like down about it, just go to someone who either wants to be PA or who's in PA school or who just got accepted and just let that enthusiasm remember that's how you used to be and that's why you got into this profession. It's so infectious. It that's really so is. True. Yes. So infectious. So in your opinion, just because this year has been so crazy, how do you think COVID has impacted PAs and your thoughts about um, the future of the profession? Yeah, so COVID has been crazy for us all. And it's kind of ironic because it's a health crisis. But actually, a lot of my healthcare friends have actually either lost their jobs or had decreased hours or been furloughed. Um, and so it's really interesting. Um, so for example, like elective surgeries, um, a lot of the hospitals were closed to that because uh, they didn't want to use the PPE right they wanted to save that in case they needed it for COVID and so surgery PAs lost their jobs or lost their hours um, hospitals census was down nobody wanted to go to the ER right and so people um, who worked in the hospital as hospitalists or ER people they got furloughed their hours went down so actually a lot of healthcare either was overworked or was underworked right um, I think though it is starting to flatten out I think people are starting to um, you know, feel more comfortable with, you know, okay, if I have chest pain, I do need to go to the ER, um, do some more follow-ups with the doctors. Um, and so I think things are getting better. Now, I think more and more when these type of things happen, then we realize like how strong the PA role really is, like how we can really impact healthcare. And so I expect with something like this, with this pandemic to PAs to be even more popular than ever, right? Because again, we can switch specialties. If we decide that we want to help COVID patients in the ICU, guess what? We can do that. Right. Okay. As a dermatologist might not be able to do that if they did a residency in dermatology. Right. And so we have so much more lateral movement that I think we're just going to see more and more and more PAs in these acute care areas. What are your future plans? Mm. Well, I'm starting a business. <laughs> Imagine that. And I really hope to, um, that to take off. Um, so professionally really, really want to focus on the business. Um, it's just, you know, we, okay. So we had this kid come in, it was a couple weeks ago and was wearing dark jeans. And um, for an interview, uh, in school, oh. in school, and you know we require professional dress, and so we actually talked to him. Was like, hey, like you know, why aren't you wearing professional dress? And and he was just like, oh gosh, I mean, I thought dark jeans were professional. I googled it, and someone on Google said dark jeans were cool. And so I realized that like, you know, students just don't know. Some of these students don't know, and you know, Google doesn't always know either. Um, and so I really, really want to help impact these students who really want to serve, who want to be PAs. And so that's where I'm focusing professionally. Now, personally, I got a whole long list of things that I want to do with my life still. Um, but professionally, that's where I want to transition. I want to transition because there's, if you look out there, there's not a lot of options out there, right? When I was applying to PA school, I didn't know what CASPA was. And I kind of fumbled through the application process. I didn't know how many schools to apply to. I was overwhelmed at that point. There was what, maybe 160 when we apply. I mean, nowhere near the amount there were now but how do you decide which ones to apply to like you know what, what is this like medical terminology like that wasn't even offered at my college how am I going to get this prereq and there's just so many things that I didn't know uh, and I don't want students to have to go through that like I want them to have a place where they can get guidance and just really have faith that hey it can happen absolutely and not only that but to present yourself in the best possible way yes so that you actually have a chance to get an interview and to get accepted into a PA program because it is so competitive yeah like your application is your CV right and then your interview for a seat is just like your interview for a job so I mean this is just think of it as your job right and so if you don't interview well you're not gonna get the job or if your CV is messy or just it doesn't highlight your strengths it highlights your weaknesses instead you're not gonna get the job so I want to help 
patients get the job and get that seat. All right, last two questions. Okay. What is your number one advice for pre-PA students? Number one advice for pre-PA students. Wow, that's tough. I guess my number one advice would be, okay, so we have a lot of people who are like, hey, I want to go to PA school. I want a good job. I want money. I want whatever. And that's totally fine, okay? Um, your reasons for going to PA school are your reasons, but you need to make sure that they are deep and not superficial reasons because when the going gets hard, like when you're getting denied for interviews or you're getting interviews and getting whitelisted or declined, if you don't have that good why, if you don't have that really deep, non-superficial reason for putting yourself through this stress and this chaos and, and, and you know, spending money and doing all these things, you channeling your entire energy to getting to PA school, then you're going to lose hope and you're going to lose focus and you're going to lose momentum. So just find out whatever that is. And it doesn't matter what it is. You know, there's no like, it has to be this, like you read online, it has to be this. No, you need to figure it out for yourself what your motivations are and keep hold of that because that is what's going to keep you moving forward when there's be some obstacles in your way, whether it be, you know, missing an application cycle, not having enough money to apply, not having the GRE to the school you want to go to or not having the GPA, like whatever it is, um, there'll be something, probably some kind of roadblock. And if you can just remember why you're doing this, it just helps make it, okay, this is just a roadblock. I know why I'm doing this and I'm going to keep moving forward. Absolutely. You absolutely have to have that foundation because while you're in PA school and whenever you meet those challenges, if you don't have that why, it's going to be really hard for you to take the next step. And that why will always keep you going. Yeah, because it's not worth it. I mean, I've had students like week two or three of the program. Um, my very first year was like, you know, I just don't want to do this. Could I do this? Probably, but I don't want to work this hard for the next two and a half years and I don't want to. And his, his why wasn't strong enough. And at least he knew it, you know, early on, but yeah, if your why is not strong enough, you just won't make it. And what about advice for PA students who are actually in the mix? Yeah. So we have so many PA students that, that stress out over everything, which I understand because being a student is stressful, but they stress out over things they can't change like schedule changes you know, you have nothing to do with that. Um, you know, I don't like using this software for this exam. You can't do anything about that. Um, I don't like, you know, this class, this professor, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you stress, don't stress out about stuff that you can't change. That is not your problem. Okay. That's not your problem. Right. Um, so only stress out about the things that you can't change, like studying, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Cause stress in a little bit can be good. It can mean that you care that you really, really want to make a difference, but like they just, they stress over the craziest things like, uh, Oh my gosh. Um, you know, this, this book has a typo on page 15 and I'm like, okay. Like, it's okay. It's, like, that's not going to affect your PA experience at all. Or the fact that, like, now you have to take a test from home instead of taking it, you know, for COVID, instead of taking it in the classroom. It's okay. Like, don't worry about that. That's something you cannot change. So focus on the things that you can change and that you can do and just try and let the rest of it go. And I know that's hard. We have students every year who, you know, cry and who just have all these mental breakdowns because they are just worrying about things that, like, they can't do anything about so just let it go so this has been so great thank you so much for letting me interview you and i'm sure that there are so many people who are going to benefit from this interview how can we reach out to you if listeners want to get in touch with you yeah so uh, our business of course is prepac.com and then we are also on instagram at, at prepac personally i am uh at instagram at, at bmac explorers and that's B-M-A-C Explores. And then I also have a website, uh, bmacexplores.com. So you can reach out to me, see a little bit of my travels, see a little bit about my personal life on there. And then we hope to connect with you guys. Thank you so much, Beth. You're amazing. Thanks for having me. <laughs>